Truth Espresso, episode 223. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea, is back this week to talk about abortion. Again, we talk about this a lot on truth espresso but you know we can't help but there's lots of news and stuff surrounding the topic of abortion some very salient news items and cases and stuff so what we want to talk about in this episode is kind of the battle with the modern day molek but the hope that we can see with victories over molek and so sweetheart ready to talk about this with me in this episode yes and so, as we get into the particular case and a victory, I want to talk a little bit about Molech as it's described in the Bible and how we see kind of a modern day Molech with abortion today as it's pretty much become a satanic sacrament today. Like, it's not just the excuse of safe, legal, and rare. It's become kind of, you know, with the whole shout your abortion thing, but and also, it seems like a religious sacrament. So, sweetheart, you want to talk a little bit about what you've observed with uh, some of that? Sure. And I was thinking that just looking at some of the Bible passages that talk about Molech and what this was, but basically, unfortunately, in Bible times, we see a lot of instances where Israel strays away from doing what God says and they build idols, they start worshiping these, they build the high places, and they turn away from God. And then eventually, hopefully, (laughs) I mean, a lot of times we see there comes another ruler or a prophet or someone that comes in and they're like, wait a minute, we need to look towards God. And this is what God says to do. And around surrounding Molech, we have King Josiah who comes into the picture and He was young. How old was he? Uh, He was eight years old when he began to reign. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, it's hard to imagine eight-year-olds that we know taking rule and being in that position. I know he had counselors and stuff with him. And so this eight-year-old King Josiah wasn't someone who just like, okay, I'm the king, bring me my candy or something. (laughs) Like he (laughs) sought to do the right thing. And actually he was one of only two kings of Judah that actually tore down the high places. And what did uh, Josiah do? Like one of the things that he did was to basically decimate the Valley of Hinnom, which ultimately turns into kind of a picture 
picture of the lake of fire itself, you know, in the New Testament, where we get the Greek Gehenna from the Valley of Hinnom. <laughs> and that was where they would burn children with fire in the pagan ritual to Molech. And ultimately, in the New Testament, it was where they would burn trash and corpses. So it was a very detestable area of constant burning fire. Yeah, so that's where kind of the history of Moloch comes from is an idol that was made to sacrifice children. And now to modern day times, we see that there are golden idols being erected to represent the killing of children again. In New York City, there's a, a courthouse there. Yeah. I was trying to look up to see exactly how long ago this was. Just a few weeks ago is what I'm thinking. Yeah. That, yes, they erected a satanic-looking woman that her name is now for the National Organization of Women to represent women's rights, reproductive rights, access to abortion. And they have that right over the Supreme Court there. And the statue is very nasty looking. <laughs> I mean, it has like yeah. the devil horns and... And yeah. doesn't it have like instead of arms, doesn't it have not like tentacles or kind of branches like type of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I know each of the components of it is supposed to represent something, but... And then of course, doesn't it have like the token lacy type of neck vest that the late justice ruth bader ginsburg was known for wearing so obviously in some ways this statue was a tribute to ruth bader ginsburg and it seems like the left like is just absolutely obsessed and fascinated with her it's like her death was the loss of one of their messiahs you know <laughs> so that they're going to erect a statue and ruth bader ginsburg represents the strong women fighting for women's rights and and of course because she was ardently pro-abortion you know they knew that okay if a if an abortion case came to her you know she would always fight to make sure that the pro-abortion side would win you know that somehow she was she had her ideology and that's what they liked which of course you'd think wait isn't a justice supposed to rule based on a correct originalist interpretation of the constitution not bring some kind of progressive ideology to the court but yeah that's what they liked about her and so it's almost like you died too early you know you should have may you live forever you know and be a supreme court justice forever you know and it's like they lament that they've lost someone and of course now that you know she's gone she was replaced by justice kavanaugh of course you know the left threw such a fit about that because like you can't replace her with someone who's not quite in line kavanaugh is definitely not a right-wing extremist by any stretch of the imagination but it's like to the left you can't replace her with anyone who isn't her you know identical clone <laughs> and now we have the overthrow of dobbs so of course the left the satanic left is going to erect an idol to memorialize rgb <laughs> and in a satanic looking structure and 
to represent women's so-called rights and abortion in a very satanic display. And so yes, also the artist who designed this idol, she said that she named the piece now because women's access to abortion is at risk right now. Mm-hmm. So another term for why that is named now. But along the same lines as the golden image here in raising that up, um, Mm -hmm. there have been a lot of more like satanic temples coming out as well, trying to get their voice heard as far as they're saying that abortion is a religious right Mm -hmm. and that that is part of their ritual for becoming a member in some of their satanic temples. And if a state bans abortion, then they're not allowed to have that as part of the ritual. So there have been lawsuits from the satanic temple with that. And then also these satanic temples are trying to open up their own abortion clinics to be able to provide women with abortions right there at their temple. And the last part that was kind of disturbing about some of the movement with the satanic temples is that they're trying to get clubs in elementary schools to start teaching our young children about satanic worship and rituals and things like that. So it's just interesting. I mean, that's always kind of been on the radar that abortion is a part of satanic ritual and sacrifice. And I know we've talked about our own late-term abortionist Warren Hearn here in Boulder, Colorado, that provides infants for the satanic temple up there for sacrifices. And so, I mean, that's kind of been known, but it's just interesting that with the ban on abortion, that these satanic places are kind of coming up from being low, kind of silent. Now they're rearing their ugly heads. Mm, And it's just... Literally. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And as such, I mean... You just read the scriptures of Second Kings and Second Chronicles and what was going on with the children's sacrifices to Molech. And we need some Josiahs oh, who yeah. are willing at eight years old, <laughs> 16 years old and up to stand up against this evil that is rising up and do what God tells us to do. God tells us to protect children. God tells us to um, not shed innocent blood. And that is exactly what abortion is doing. So we are in the same place that Israel was at that time and rejecting what God commanded. And hopefully there are still Christians out there. (laughs) I mean, I know there are, but we just need to stay strong and stay encouraged. And I think that's kind of where we want to be like, okay, that's the depressing part of it. Remembering that what we are seeing now reminds us of those days with Molech and the high places and the idols. And now we need to take this time and turn to God and stand firm on his truth, stand firm on what he tells us to do. And that's kind of where this next part comes into play, where there is some hope there Uh, and some victory. As you said, sweetheart, it's about standing up. And when Christians are willing to stand up because the threats, the threats are real. The threats are intimidating, but it's like a paper tiger, (laughs) you know, like their bark and not, not as much bite as you think if you just stand up because it seems like the other side 
they want to scare us and they're going to persecute us, you know, but we just stand our ground and get through it. Then they expose themselves for what they truly are. They want to intimidate people from speaking the truth because they know they can't handle the truth. (laughs) And as this example shows, we're going to look at the example of Mark Hook, who basically the cult of Moloch, as we could call it, kind of went after him because they went after him on baseless charges And so after the Dobbs decision, the pro-abortion agenda tried to figure out backdoor ways. They resurrected the FACE Act, which Bill Clinton signed into law in 1994. And at the time, as it was signed, yes, I'm going to say the FACE Act is wrong. And people today, you know, pro-lifers today are trying to get the FACE Act overturned, especially in this case of Mark Hook. But I would, at least to give the benefit of the doubt, I would say that the FACE Act was at least proposed to be two-sided in a way, like kind of like, okay, if you don't interfere with this, people also can't interfere with your side. But the FACE Act was not really used as a weapon such until after the Dobbs decision, where it's kind of like, what do we do? Roe versus Wade decision is overturned. We've got to make sure that there's a way that the federal government can still have the power to regulate abortion and stop pro-lifers from being able to influence and to interfere with abortions. And so we have the case of Mark Hook, who was a Catholic pro-lifer who actually runs a kind of a men's ministry for um, related to a pregnancy center, and it's called like the it's called the King's Men. But what's interesting is that I tried to search the major <laughs> news sites, so I went to CNN.com, MSNBC.com, and CBS.com, and I searched for his name a hook h-o-u-c-k and none of them turned up anything cnn was completely blank cbs or well the others would have some results but the hook there was not anything related to mark hook so it's kind of interesting you know as we'll see in the story of mark hook it involves fbi raiding his home you know so you think the fbi the federal bureau of investigation if they're gonna bust a house and arrest someone you think okay this is a federal crime wouldn't this be newsworthy on a major news site but nope total silence there Now, Rolling Stone, which of course is a left-wing news (laughs) source, they do have an article about the verdict. So, you know, we'll get into the story of Mark Hook here, but the headline in the Rolling Stone on January 30th when Mark Hook was acquitted from his charges, it says, anti-abortion activist accused of pushing 72-year-old volunteer found not guilty so right away as the reader just looking at the headline you're gonna go oh when is justice gonna be served you know a mean guy shoves an old guy and somehow he gets away with it (laughs) 
So notice that the headline calls Hook an anti-abortion activist. Of course, they can never use pro-life. It's always anti-abortion or anti-choice. If they ever use pro-life, if it's not just the title of an organization, they're going to put it in quotes. You know, if they ever stoop to actually using the title. And I also notice that the headline refers to the age of the escort, you know, so it's intended to give the reader disdain for Mark Hook here. Like, he shoved an old person. He doesn't even care about old people who are just trying to help women here. This old guy who's still running and still trying to, you know, serve people. And this mean Mark Hook just shoves him because he can't stand abortion for his silly religious beliefs so i think there's more to this story right (laughs) (laughs) that sounds a little fishy just from that yeah so if you don't see the story but you read this article you're definitely not going to get a picture a true picture of what actually transpired so the article also then shows a picture of a planned parenthood you know, with a banner that says, no judgment, just care. Aww. (laughs) And then there's a woman wearing a colorful escort vest and holding the door open for a woman to enter. So, you know, it's a nice woman there helping out a patient. The caption under the image says, Quote, a clinic escort assists a patient at a Planned Parenthood health center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on September 28th, 2022. Oh, how sweet. Um, So, you know, and this is not far into the article from the headline. So, obviously, the headline and the sample photo intend to insulate the reader from what really happened. (laughs) Yeah. And now, to quote from the article, the article quotes from U.S. Attorney Jacqueline Romero. It says, according to the attorney, quote, assault is always a serious offense, and under the FACE Act, if the victim is targeted because of their association with a reproductive health care clinic, it is a federal crime, unquote. And then the article explains after that, the FACE Act makes it a federal crime to use force, threats, or physical obstruction to block the entrance to reproductive health clinics. (laughs) So this article didn't really detail what actually went on on the incident that led to Mark Hook being put on trial and eventually the jury acquits him. So it mentions, you know, the headline mentions and the article says, says that the jury found him not guilty. Okay, so somehow, according to this article, he shoves an old person, an escort who's helping women with their reproductive freedom, and he's a Catholic anti-abortion activist. So what? Is the jury just a bunch of religious extremists or what? Like, why did they acquit him of the charges? We don't know when we read this article, of course. But if we actually see the full story, we could understand why the jury acquitted him. Christian podcast community is a cohesive group of like-minded podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, 
apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org So, what really happened in the case of Mark Hook? So, on October 13th, 2021, the first incident of this story happened. Mark Hook is a father of seven children, and he volunteers at least one day a week, most likely Saturdays in this case, at a pregnancy center that happens to be near, kind of across the street. Maybe like there's a street in between this pregnancy center and an abortion clinic. So this pregnancy center is near the Elizabeth Blackwell Health Center Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. And as Hook was outside the pregnancy center, two women were leaving the abortion clinic nearby. And so as they were passing by, Hook talked to them. Now, the 72-year-old Bruce Love, who volunteered as an escort at the aforementioned abortion clinic, did not like the fact that Hook there was talking to these women who just left the clinic because he didn't want him to persuade them that they did anything wrong or maybe help them not to be repeat customers or something. So, Mr. Love here moved away from his post, his station at the clinic and onto the sidewalk there and he cut in between Hook and the women to try to talk to the women and tell them that they don't have to listen to what this protester says. So then Mark Hook grabbed Bruce Love's arm and told him, you need to leave. So Mr. Love claimed that this caused him to fall down. Now, there is no evidence that Love actually fell down from this particular incident here. But later on in the same day, Hook was still kind of serving out and he was outside on the sidewalk. But this time he was with his 12-year-old son, Mark Jr., And Bruce Love was still there at the abortion clinic. So we have the kind of battle lines drawn in this day here. So Bruce Love, still volunteering at the abortion clinic across the way, saw Hook again and once again walked over, moved from his station to confront Hook. Now this is important. Hook did not go toward the abortion clinic at all. It was Bruce Love who moved from the clinic to confront Hook. So Bruce Love yelled at Mark Hook and said some obscenities and making fun of Hook's faith. He also yelled them at Hook's son. Now, of course, if you're a dad and someone's yelling in your son's face, you'd be like Mark Hook here. So Hook told Love to leave his son alone, but Love would not leave. And at one point, Love had walked away, but then walked back toward them again and was starting to yell at them. And Hook told him to leave and Love would not heed and would not leave. And so as Love was harassing Hook's son, Hook pushed him away and that that inadvertently caused Love to fall down. 
So, Love took this seriously, this little shove that got him off of his feet. He lost his balance there. So, Love called the police. Now, the police arrived and they investigated and asked questions, but they determined that no crime had occurred, so they didn't issue any charges there. And Love was not going to let Hook get away with not being a criminal for shoving him. So Love then filed a criminal complaint with the district attorney's office. But as the local court there in Philadelphia is going to hear the criminal charges, Love would have to be there. But he didn't show up, so rescheduled. And he didn't show up again. So if Love wasn't going to show up for his own complaint against Hook... The court threw away the charges. So, Hook was going to be scot-free on this. He's not a criminal. The police, the court, all determined that there was no crime committed here. The case was dropped. So, my question is, with the FACE Act, it sounds like you have to be kind of interfering with the client's ability to enter the clinic or enter the building. Because this was, from what I remember reading about, the FACE Act was kind of to prohibit some of the sit-in protests that pro-life people would do where they'd sit down and block entrances to abortion clinics so women couldn't get in or providers couldn't get through the driveway, things like that. And so that was where the FACE Act was going, was to try and prevent opposition that was actually blocking entrance and stuff. So can you explain a little bit more about what happened with how the FACE Act came into play here, even though it seems like it really didn't? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so the FACE Act, as you said, the Freedom of Access to Clinical Entrances Act, and so it's, it's wrong, of course, but yeah, it's meant that if someone needs to get into a clinic and people don't want them. They're not allowed to block the entrance and they're not allowed to commit any violence against people. So patients who are going into a clinic have to have a legal ability to enter the clinic without being stopped or harassed or that workers at the clinic don't have violence against them. But in this case, Mark Hook wasn't near the entrance to the abortion clinic. There's no evidence at all that he intended in any way to go toward the abortion clinic. He wasn't actively blocking the entrance, as the FACE Act would prescribe. But Bruce Love, on the other hand, repeatedly left the entrance to the abortion clinic to engage Hook and yell at him. So he went onto the street where Hook was. So he came up to Hook. And yes, as wrong as the FACE Act, as I said before, itself may be for protecting abortion, under any reasonable understanding of the FACE Act, Hook could not have violated it. But the FACE Act itself would also protect against the same offenses happening at a pregnancy center. So, yes, uh, the FACE Act itself was intended to kind of be like, hey, if you don't block entrance to abortion centers, people also can't block or prevent people from going into crisis pregnancy centers. But 
if we look at what actually happened, it was rather since Bruce Love came up to Hook near the pregnancy center entrance to talk to the women there and prevent Hook from talking to them and harassing Hook and his son there, that it would be more like Love himself would be guilty of violating the act. But of course, no one charged Love with anything there. But of course, let's not let facts get in the way of agendas. (laughs) The police determined, as I said, that there was no crime worthy of arrest, and the court, the Philadelphia court, dropped the criminal complaint because Love didn't do his due diligence and show up in court. Now, on April 27th, of 2022, so this was six months later and into the next year, Hook received a letter from a federal attorney telling him that he was the target of a federal investigation. And now Hook had retained an attorney that he had for the previous issues there, and Hook's attorney repeatedly tried to contact this federal attorney who sent him the letter, whose signature is on the letter, And he left voice messages repeatedly, but no one ever returned to him a call. And Hook's attorney said that Hook is willing to surrender himself if they indict him. So basically, don't worry about arresting and stuff. If you indict him, he's going to turn himself in and show up and say, here, do with me as you will. But it appears that that wasn't the plan that they had in mind because they wanted the kind of surprise effect. The big show, big entrance. They need all of that to make a demonstration of their agenda. Yeah, so they wanted basically a show trial and intimidation tactics so that any pro-lifers who see what happens here as follows, that they will be too afraid to do what Mark Hook himself was doing or to challenge anything that would be pro-abortion. Like, you know, guess what? We've got your name down and we could do the same thing to you. So, September 23rd, which is now about five months after the letter was sent and no responses to it. So, around 7 a.m. September 23rd, about 20 armed and armored FBI agents surrounded and blockaded Hook's house. And they knocked aggressively at the door and demanded that someone open the door. And I saw it too on some articles, like they were ringing the doorbell, knocking, and they were yelling like, open the door or we're going to knock it down. Yeah, they had a battering ram to see out the door. They're all holding rifles and pointing it at the door and stuff as if this was someone who was armed and dangerous. Of course, it's intended to be an intimidation tactic here. And the sad thing was, too, when you're reading Hook's account of this, too, that his wife and kids were still sleeping. Like, thankfully, he was awake and heard that and could go to the door. But all of that noise and stuff woke them up. And so the wife and kids kind of came running to the door, too, to see what was going on. Yeah. Just to see all these FBI armored up uh, pointing guns at their family. Yeah, and of course, obviously, they do it at this time to make sure that he and his family are home so they can be intimidating there. And so, according to Mark Hook's wife, Ryan Marie, Mark tried to calm the FBI agents down by saying, you know, he would open the door calmly 
and that you know they had seven babies inside. I mean, he affectionately referred to his children as babies inside. So Ryan Marie asked them why they were there, and they said that they're going to arrest Mark. So she asked them to show a warrant, but they said that they would take him with or without a warrant. Now, how is that in any way constitutional? <laughs> like, how can you arrest someone without a warrant? That's, isn't that a violation of the Fifth Amendment? But, of course, that becomes even more intimidating when you have the federal government acting as thugs and completely lawless that way. Now, to her request, eventually, like one of them said, he was going to go out to a vehicle and get the warrant. Mark asked his wife then to get him a sweatshirt and some rosaries because he was prepared to, you know, be arrested here. But they decided to just take him quickly. And in many cases of an arrest, they allow, as Mark said in some testimonies I've watched, usually it's like, hey, we'll wait as you finish your coffee, get your clothes on and stuff like that. Brush your teeth if you need to. But they took him without any of that. So his wife went to quick get him a sweatshirt and the rosaries he wanted and by the time she got back there they had already started loading him into the vehicle there and the kids were screaming and crying as they saw these goons with guns take away their dad and they didn't fully understand why this was happening now according to mark's wife as the kids were screaming and crying and saying that their dad is their best friend, she could tell that the agents were starting to soften a bit, as she said, and you know she could see some demeanor of shame in the agents there because they were probably starting to realize, okay, if maybe some of these were ignorant and they were told that we have a criminal, someone who was mean to someone and described the charges, they're like, okay, let's go get the guy, you know, but then as they witness how this family acted that maybe in the process okay we're just following orders but this just doesn't seem right so the charges with the arrest of mark hook there were two violations of the face act because there were two incidents on that day and as was claimed by bruce love that he was shoved twice you know once earlier in the day and then once later although there's only evidence that it was shoved once according to testimony mark had grabbed his arm the first time but love had claimed that he shoved him and he fell down during the first incident so then this totals to two charges of violating the face act which compounds the punishment of course so the charges were that there could be a maximum sentence of 11 years in prison and a $350,000 fine. Now, that's a pretty hefty possible punishment for simply knocking someone off their feet and having, at most, a little bit of a, a scrape on the knee. When the federal government wants to intimidate someone basically to say, hey, you guys better stop doing what he did because he's going to be the public example. Yeah, they want to make it scary that way. Now, the agents took Mark to what Mark has called the federal building. And there they shackled his hands and his feet. And the total time there was about six hours, if I remember correctly. And 
So Mark says that during this time, this was when he felt the most intimately close to Jesus in prayer. He prayed a lot during this time, and so he felt like very intimate during this trying time here. I remember hearing a, a testimony where, you know, of course, they have the shackles on his feet and he still didn't have socks on. So it wasn't very comfortable that way. And as they would lead him around, he had to kind of waddle and scooch his feet because they're shackled together. You know, he, he said basically it's almost like they're treating him like an animal. And then, before the FBI agents would let Mark return home, they tried to persuade him to plead guilty and that they would let him off the hook. So, as Mark then called his wife, they both agreed that he should not agree to the terms. If I remember, his wife basically told him, don't you dare agree to that. (laughs) And it's not like she was basically saying, yeah, I don't care if my husband faces all that. They both knew what was at stake, and they both fully agreed, because like, if he pled guilty to violating the FACE Act just for self-preservation here, of course, who knows if they would have honored their word there, but to get him to somehow confess to a crime there, that would have set a precedent and a scare tactic there. Hey, he pled guilty to violating the FACE Act. Now, you know, we have the precedent to charge anyone in a similar situation. So I'm a little confused about why they had to go through all that drama (laughs) to bring him in shackled and handcuffed and all what did they do for the six hours Uh, they did question him and interrogate him about things and they get information from him and stuff but just to send him home well yeah eventually to come up with okay here are the charges this is what is said that you did and this is the penalties and stuff so eventually like you're gonna tell us what happened and okay so this is the charges this is the penalty now we could work out something rub hands together you know we're gonna make all this go away if you just publicly plead guilty to violating the face act So if they treated him like a criminal, wouldn't you hold him until the trial? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. To me, that's the weird part. Like, why are you treating him like this way crazy, possessed criminal, I guess? And then you just like, okay, here, you're free to go home now and... We'll see you in a few months for the trial. Like, yeah, that just seems like, kind of weird. Obviously, it shows that they treated him worse than what was really, you know, warranted under mm-hmm. things just to intimidate him, just to break him. Hoping, I'm sure they really expected and hoped that he would just plead guilty so they can, aha, the pro-life movement. But it's like, I really think that when he refused to do it, they realized, okay, we have to go to trial and, you know, are we really going to make a good case here? Like, this really shouldn't have gone to trial. He should have just pled guilty. And yeah, so Mark bravely did not plead guilty. And of course, that meant that it had to go to trial. Hey, I'm Joel. Hey, this is Troy. Have you ever thought about how many sermons have never been listened to because they were never recorded because they came out before recordings? On our podcast, Revive Thoughts, we take the roughly 1,900 years of sermons and try to bring them back to life. We talk about the history, we talk about the setting, and every week we have a different speaker deliver these sermons for us to listen to once again. So this is your chance to listen to sermons by people like Calvin by people like Spurgeon, by people like Knox, and maybe some people you've never heard of, like Johann Tauler, 
or Alexander White. Let us live and move and have our being and deal with men as if a dying, risen, interesting... See poor Lazarus in his full frightening misery and behind him Christ. The hand cannot alone deliver man. The body must... You can find Revive Thoughts on any podcast app or player that you have and at revivethoughts.com. We hope you learn something new and grow closer to God. Doesn't that remind you of all the different stories you read in the Bible of, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel, or you have all these people that stand up for what's right, even though the governors or people in authority are putting all that pressure on them saying, no, you must bow down and worship this idol, or you must do this, or stop praying to your God. And here's like that opportunity where Hook could have easily just said, Okay, yep, like you said, make it easy for him, just plead guilty and <laughs> yeah, and deal with all of that. But he and his wife were like, no, we're going to stand up for what's true. And that's what they did. And that had to have been really hard for them to have that courage to stand yes, up. Definitely. I mean, it just makes you think like for us even like, wow, if we were in that situation, would we have that same courage to stand up against the tyranny of people in authority like that? Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. And yes, I would pray to God that we would, I would. And (laughs) yeah, as you mentioned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar there says, bow down, they stand up. And then he's like, don't you realize, do you see that fiery furnace there? That's where you're going. If you now going to play the music again, if you don't bow down, that's where you're going. Like he's expecting, like, why would you resist? Don't you see that? Don't you see what I'm going to do to you? And it's like, okay, throw them in. Like, in the case of Mark Hook here, it's like, okay, I guess we got to go to trial. I mean, <laughs> so Mark was represented by the Thomas More Society. They're a, a public interest law firm that they'll often represent people by donations uh, you know, on their own dime if they see that it's a, a freedom issue. And so the Thomas More Society represented him and Brian McMonagle, who was a top defense, a criminal defense attorney there in Philadelphia. So at the start, as it was going to go to trial, the defense filed a motion to dismiss the case by clearly laying out the government's political hypocrisy and motivation. Then the judge rejected it. So yes, the trial had to go on. And I'm sure the judge, if he wasn't familiar with it, it's like, yeah, yeah, everyone wants to avoid the trial, but we've got to hear this out. We've got to hear both sides. So, the trial began Tuesday, January 24th, 2023 here, but the arguments and the testimonies didn't begin until the next day, Wednesday. So, in the trial, the prosecution argued that Hook twice shoved love and elbow hit him because they made it that there's a motivation there. It was because he was an escort for Planned Parenthood. (laughs) now of course you know if they're prosecuting someone for violating the face act they have to make the argument that he really did violate the face act so it's like he aggressed he hit someone he committed the violence that the face act prohibits because bruce love was an escort for planned parenthood 
Then the defense argued that the incident was simply a father protecting his son from harassment. (laughs) Mark Jr. testified, so the son, who was now a teenager, testified, and then afterwards his dad testified. So this was another one of those cases where the accused actually testified himself. It can be risky, but, you know, it can also be very rewarding in this case, too. So the defense also argued that the CEO of the Planned Parenthood also admitted that they have had problems with Bruce Love being an unruly escort and that he's left his post multiple times against their own handbook. (laughs) The Planned Parenthood, to their credit, if we want to even say that, to their credit, they actually have written rules about escorts not heckling or engaging protesters or sidewalk counselors. Now, of course, they probably have motivation for trying to ignore them as they escort people, but Bruce Love was going to be an activist himself in this case. So, as the defense attorney cross-examined Bruce Love and asked him questions about all the things that he was reported to have said to Mark and to his son, Bruce Love denied saying any of the things, like, they would ask, do you remember saying this? And, of course, do you remember saying, and it would be like, you know, an obscenity. And then, I know it was the the head of the king's men there was a, a Catholic priest there, so the defense attorney he had him stand up and kind of pointed at him and asked Bruce Love, do you remember calling him a bleep, 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 or whatever? And so Love denied everything that was said that they asked him that he said. And I remember reading about after this particular hearing, the defense attorney told people outside the court case, like, this Bruce Love is just simply lying through his teeth. Like, they knew that the evidence was clearly there. And the defense did have video evidence of the second and the most important incident here that showed Bruce Love approaching, leaving his post multiple times, approaching and harassing Mark and his son, and showed the point of Mark pushing him after he was harassing his son. The defense also had witnesses who saw what went on at the incident, and they recalled some of what was said. Like, they affirmed, I heard him say something about his son, and so on like that. Now, the judge, Gerald Pappert, observed (laughs) toward the end of the trial there that the case for violating the FACE Act, quote, seemed to be stretched a little thin here, unquote. But the prosecuting attorney tried to claim that the incident fit, quote-unquote, every element of the FACE Act. That was according to their argument, which didn't really seem to hold water here. So, the jury was deadlocked while deliberating Friday, and the judge told them to return Monday morning. And I would have had to think this had to have been a very grueling and trying weekend for the Hook family here to wait for Monday to see if Mark was going to have to be in prison possibly for 11 years or if he was going to be acquitted. And now on Monday morning, the jury did reach the unanimous verdict that Mark was not guilty of both charges of violating the FACE Act. And so we definitely thank God for that because this precedent-setting case would then show that, hey, 
You don't intimidate pro-lifers because they can and will go through and fight the fight against false charges against intimidation and the truth will be revealed. Isn't there a great verse about that? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. (laughs) John 8, 32. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a good reminder that even when there seems to be a lot of opposition and just evil emerging left and right, that we stand on God's word and God's word is true, that that is what will set us free. I mean, we may not see it here on earth, but in the end, we know the ultimate victory belongs to God. And that gives us hope that we know the trials and tribulations and the harassment that the anti-God people (laughs) will bring towards us, that that's just for a moment and we have our ultimate victory in Christ and we should focus on that and just remember this victory that we got to see Mark Hook experience. And his case isn't the only one. Oh, yes. (laughs) So I think next week we'll talk about another case. Yeah, or two, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And these cases would be in the UK to see where more harassment regarding how people can act outside of abortion clinics and so on and false charges and how they're paper thin and just to intimidate people. And But yeah, let Mark Hook's example be that if you stick it to the end and you don't allow the forces of Satan to intimidate you and you know what's true, Fight for truth, and God will vindicate you. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Truth Spresso and the story of Mark Hook's victory against Molech. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Spresso, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Spresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 